you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Last couple of months, we've been studying books that are easy to find. We have been in the back of the Bible, the last book. Now go to the very front, first book of your Bible. Uh, In fact, the very first page of the Bible. We're going to study the book of Genesis, or at least start the book of Genesis, that will take us up until the summer. If you're visiting with us, uh, we are a church that just simply goes through books of the Bible. We try to rotate. We try, not always, but to rotate between Old Testament and New Testament. And there's a reason why we do this. It's because we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. That it's our authority. That it is our authority in faith and in life. And it's also where we find Jesus. And where we learn about Jesus and what he's done for us and how he's come to rescue us. Uh, He's at the very center of the scriptures. And so we believe this book is what we most need. And so with that in mind, follow along with me as I read the first page of your Bible. um, Genesis chapter 1. I'm only going to be reading verses 1 through 26. So not uh, the bulletin has 1 through 31. I will stop at 26 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse. There's lots of expanses and waters in this section, so bear with me. (laughs) And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters... Under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing seed in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding Seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be signs, and, uh, and for seasons, and for days, and for years, and Let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them into the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth according to the expanse of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, 
and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over, I love this line, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We did it. Let me pray. Ask God to help us. Father, we do need your help. Um, We don't pray because we're supposed to. We pray because we're helpless and desperate people. Desperately in in need of a word from the outside. You've given us the gift of your word. Would you take this word and would you apply it to our hearts this morning? Teach us, correct us. Um, reset our worldview in this passage and show us the goodness and grace of who you are through the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. We got to remember here in Genesis chapter 1, one of our principles that you've heard me say many times before, you can't say everything about anything. And if you try you'll end up saying nothing at all. This is one of those passages. There is so much here, uh, and we could take a deep dive in lots of places. There is lots of ink that has been uh, spilled on Genesis chapter 1 over the years, mainly around the different views of creation. Did God create the earth in six 24-hour days, or was it longer Uh, periods of time in between. How old is the earth? How does the Bible square with science? Some of you are already glazed over and asleep. (laughs) Now those are good questions. Uh, Those are good questions, but if you've been around our church for any length of time, you know where this is going. Bible study principle number one. Context, context, context. We must, as we read and study our Bibles, remember the context. Why? Because the context keeps us grounded. It keeps us centered. It keeps us from trying to um, get the Bible to answer our questions. And questions it was not meant to answer. And so we are not, believe it or not, this won't surprise some of you, we're not going to uh, study the different views of creation this morning and talk about how old the earth is. Those are our questions. Those aren't the questions that Genesis chapter 1 is asking. To our modern world, scientific world, uh, those questions are important to us, yes, but they're not the point of Genesis chapter 1. Can we learn some things from Genesis chapter 1 that would inform those questions and be relevant to them? Of course we can, but not the point. The point 
can be found when we look at the context. What's the context? The author Moses was not writing primarily to answer science questions. He was writing to reset and reestablish the worldview of the people of God. And by worldview, I simply mean the way that a person sees the world. Everyone has glasses that they put on uh, that informs the way you see the world. And for the Christian, we put on the spectacles or the glasses of Scripture that informs the way we see everything. And Moses is writing to the people of God who have just left Egypt and they're on their way to the promised land. And we read the book of Exodus and we think that they were only in Egypt for a couple of days. (laughs) They were in Egypt for 400 years. You think they needed a reset? You think they needed to reset their worldview? They had been stripped of their dignity. They were slaves. They had been stripped of their freedom. They had been immersed for hundreds of years in Egyptian culture. And Moses is writing, remember who you are. Let me remind you of your worldview as a Christian, as the people of God. And so like the people of God in Moses' day, we too are immersed in a world, aren't we, that doesn't hold a Christian worldview. We're immersed in a world, you could say, that opposes a Christian worldview. And so I thought, especially after a year like 2020, that like the people of God in Moses' day, we could use a reset. There are lots of people in the world today, perhaps you're one of them, that are disillusioned and confused and in need of a reset. So that's what we're going to do. Over the next couple of months, we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible, and be reminded of these very important foundational principles for living life in God's world. Foundational principles like, who is God? Who are you as a human being and why do you exist on this earth? What is your story? Why is the world the way it is? You see, Genesis answers the questions of creation, the why questions, more than it answers the how questions. And I would argue the why questions are far deeper and far more important. And so this morning, lesson number one is where we're starting. Lesson number one is who is God? And we see in this passage, God is number one, creator, secondly, designer, lastly, redeemer. Creator, designer, redeemer. Let's dig in. Let's look at God as creator. Look at verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who's the, ver- the subject of the very first line of the Bible? God is. And did you know that God, the word God appears, there's only 31 verses in Genesis chapter 1, the word God appears 35 times in the first chapter. You see, God overwhelms the passage. God dominates everything. God is self-existent. God has always been. No one made God or caused him. He is the cause of everything and he makes the world out of nothing by the power of his word. Over and over you heard the refrain, God said and it was so. God said and it was so. He speaks and it happens. And so at the very beginning of the Bible, here's this first point, God. God. 
He is all-powerful. He is creator and sustainer of the entire universe. And he is the creator and sustainer of us. And so remember, we want to, this drives downhill towards application, right? We want to always be talking about what does this have to do with our life on Tuesday afternoon. If we don't talk about that, what are we doing here if this does not impact my daily life? And so what impact does this have on you on Monday morning when you get up? Well, this might be obvious, but we're really good, if you're like me, at missing the obvious. And so I think we need to hear this, and I think it's very important. I think what this means, if the point of Genesis chapter 1 in the creation of the world is God, then I think this means that your life in the Bible is not about you. It's not about you. This world is about God. Now, I'm not saying that you're not important. We're important. You're a human being created in the image of God. We're going to get there next week. Uh, And so we're definitely important, but the point is God's the main character of the world. God is the star of the show. The world revolves and centers around Him, not around you. There's... There was a a podcast, This American Life podcast, and there was a story I heard one time with an actor, a guy who's trying to make it in acting and was trying to make it to the big screen. And he was right on the cusp of making it on the big screen. And he was starting to appear in some commercials and sitcoms and that sort of thing. And he tells this story about the time he was outside of a restaurant and out walked a group of girls and they asked him for a picture and he starts thinking, I've made it. These people know who I am. And I'm big time. And so he puts his arm around these two girls and he smiles really big for the camera. And all of a sudden the girls start looking at him like, what are you doing? They're confused. This is getting really awkward. And he's embarrassed because then it clicks. No, they wanted him to take a picture of them Outside of the restaurant. He lost perspective, didn't he? He lost perspective. He forgot who he was. We lose perspective too, don't we? We forget who we are. And Genesis chapter 1 comes and presses the reset button on our worldview and says, Life is not about you, it's about God. God is creator. You are a creature. He created you and he created the world. He's in charge. We exist for him. He does not exist for us. And again, really obvious, but if we miss this foundational truth, then it leads to all sorts of problems in our lives. It leads to a distorted worldview. You were made, we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks, as a human being, you were made for community. And so our life is full of what? Relationships. That's what life is. And why are relationships, why is there so much typically dysfunction and difficulty in our relationships and in our friendships and in our marriage? Well, we could say lots of things here, but number one reason is that you think life is all about you. And there is no room on the stage of your life for anyone else but you. And so your relationships, and this is why it's so hard 
And so often there's so much conflict is because it's all about our needs and our wants and what we think we deserve. And in this, perhaps, the reason why self-absorption is so exhausting and leads to a heartache and dysfunction and breakdown. Why? Because think about what happens when you get consumed with self. When you cannot get your mind and your heart off of yourself, well, what do you start doing? Well, you instantly start comparing yourself to other people. And what's the problem with comparing yourself to other people? Well, it's going to lead you down a very hard road in a downward spiral. Why? Because someone's always better than you. Someone's always smarter than you. Someone's always prettier than you, skinnier than you, funnier than you, better at their job than you, and knows more than you, and go on and on and on. And so when we are consumed with self and we start comparing ourselves with other people, that leads us to a downward spiral. Why? Because we never feel like we're enough. And you see, the reason why uh, we need to learn this lesson here and the reason why we feel that downward spiral is because it goes against self-absorption, goes against the very fabric of reality. Genesis chapter 1. It goes against the fabric of the world. And so here we have a reset. Life is meant to not revolve around you. It's meant to revolve around God, and we see that at creation. And so here's my question, application question. Who is on the center stage of your life? Is it God or is it you? Maybe a better question is where do you need to repent this morning of your self-absorption? You see, we could all use a little repentance, couldn't we? In the area of being self-centered and self-absorbed. Secondly, God as designer. So he's creator and he's designer. Look at verses 3 through 26. Again, tons here. Let me point out a couple of things. But remember the context. Moses is writing to the people of God who had been enslaved in Egypt. They had been immersed in Egyptian culture. And what was that culture worshiping? Well, the Egyptians worshiped gods like the sun and the moon and the stars. Well, all of a sudden, this bops off the page, doesn't it? Look at verse 16. It makes more sense when you know the context because Moses is essentially saying this. You see the sun? You see the moon? You see the stars? They're not gods. Your God, people of God, made the sun and the moon and the stars. And never forget that. Resetting their worldview. The other thing we see and notice is that creation is not haphazard. It's not chaotic. You heard it as I was reading. You heard the cadence and the repetition, didn't you? So we see very, at the very beginning is creation has structure. And let me point this out to you. Notice that days one through three, God provides the form for creation. Days four through six, God fills the form. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses three through five. Day one. God called light into existence. Day 4, verses 14 through 19, he appointed the sun and the moon to regulate the seasons. Day 2, look at verses 6 and 8. He separated and created the sky. Look at day 5, verses 21 through 23. Remember form and filling. He fills the earth or the sky in day 5 with birds. 
And you get the idea. We could keep moving through those. But the point is it's not accidental. When God created the world, he, didn't, he formed it and he filled it. He did not, it's not haphazard. There's order. There's rhythm. It's not chaos. The earth isn't random. The, the world's not random. It operates according to a very specific design. And God has designed, and his design for the world in your life is foundational for your human flourishing. It's foundational. And what I mean by that is that God has designed the world and he has designed you as a human being in such a way that if you honor that design and you respect that design, life tends to go well for you. But if you dishonor and you rebel against your design, then it will lead to pain and life will not go well for you. Let me try to give you an example. Uh, Two months ago, we cut down a hundred-year-old oak tree in our backyard. Yes, it broke my heart, but the tree was actually growing into our house and leading to all sorts of problems, so it had to be done. Uh, But it was a tree that three people, we couldn't get our arms around it. And imagine that when I called the company to come cut the tree down, imagine me walking out my back door and they're cutting the tree down with a rake. Look, you laugh because, you know, that's absurd. Why? Because that's not what a rake is supposed to be used for. (laughs) It's not the purpose of the rake. It's not the design of the rake. What? A rake rakes leaves. A saw or chainsaw cuts down trees. The same is true with your humanity. God designs human beings in such a way uh, that life works best when you live according to your design. How do you know your design? The Bible. More specifically, the Ten Commandments show you, and is a summary of how life works best. And look around. We live in a world, don't we, that has defied the designer, has defied the way you are designed. And freedom has become the defining aspiration in the world, hasn't it? And you hear it everywhere. And you hear it in these sorts of narratives that are in our culture. Do whatever you think's best. Or do whatever, and it's all good as long as you don't hurt anyone. Or follow your heart. Or here's one, you do you. And you see what what that is, it's in a mindset that assumes that the path to human flourishing and the path to peace in one's life is expressing your freedom and your true self. The thought is that uh, in order to be free, then you can have no authority. And the expectation is that anything uh, must be done away with that would hold you back and constrain you from being who you really are. And so we say, no one tells me what to do. No one has the right to compel me into any kind of thinking or doing. And Genesis 1 comes and gives us a reset. Because Genesis 1, God comes and says, wait a minute. You're not the creator. You're not the designer of this world 
or the designer of human beings. I am. And I know how life works best. And so God comes and says, you're the creature. I'm the creator. I designed money. I designed sex and work and gender and marriage. And I know how they work best. And I'm the one who determines how those things should look in the context in which they are to take place. You see, there is a kind of freedom, and here's, here's where I'm getting at, that doesn't make you free at all. And it's the kind of freedom that fails to honor your design. And instead of giving you life, it actually eats away at your soul and makes you a shadow of who you were intended to be. And we could think of a hundred examples of this. But if you work and never rest, we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. As a human being, you were made to rest. And if you don't rest and you work, 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 what does that do to your soul? It eats away at your soul. And there's a breakdown of your physical health and of your family life. You've got to honor God's design. And you see, we think by being free that we can break the curse in our life. That our autonomy is what it looks like in, in, to fix ourselves. And that's what's going to make us whole and right. And Genesis chapter 1 comes and says, no, the only one who can fix you is God. Why? Because God is your creator. And what do you do when something's broken in your house? You call the person who made it. And so what do we do with our brokenness? We go to the one who made us. We go to God. We go specifically to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so why, do, why does God do this? Why does God give us design? Our instinct, because we think about our parents, and we think, my parents are trying to keep me from having all the fun. And that's the way we think of God. God just doesn't want me to have fun. I need to live. God's trying to save your life. He loves you. He's given us this design and boundaries in which we can live. Why? Because he loves you and wants you to thrive instead of living with heartache, pain, and suffering. So he's designer. He's creator. Lastly, he's redeemer. Look at verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth, follow along with me, was without form and void, darkness over the face of the deep, and the Spirit was, of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so we see that creation begins with an earth that is formless and void. What does that mean? Simply just means it was uninhabitable. It was empty. It was unable to uh, sustain and contain life. But then look at what it says. This is the verse that stood out to me this week. The Spirit hovers over the face of the water. The word hovering... It's the same word that is used to describe a mother bird that is hovering over her chicks. Why does a mother bird hover over her chicks? Because she loves them. Because she cares for them. Because she's trying to protect them. And so right from the very beginning of creation, the very beginning of the Bible, we see not an impersonal God. We see a very personal God it's a picture of tenderness and of love and care shaping the world exactly how it wants, how, how he wants so that we might live. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. God created by the power of his word. 
there is another place in the scriptures that begins exactly the way the book of Genesis begins. You know what it is? The book of John. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You see the reason why God's Word can create is because God's Word is, per, is a person. And in John chapter 1 verse 1 we know that that person is Jesus. The light of the world. Is that not unbelievable? Right here in the opening lines of the Bible. The first three verses of the Bible, you see the Trinity. The Father creating, the Spirit hovering, the Word. Jesus was here. At creation, the very opening lines, we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And so then the question is, what kind of God is this God? What kind of God is He? He is a God that brings order out of chaos. A God that takes emptiness and fills it with beauty and fullness. He takes darkness and brings about light. Isn't that what Jesus does when we get to the Gospels? Jesus enters into people's lives and what does he do? He brings order out of chaos. Friends, God, the God of the Bible, is in the business of rewriting stories of rewriting your story. He's in the business of reversing darkness, bringing order into the chaos and repairing brokenness and painful things in a person's life. And he wants to do that in each and every life in this room this morning. And then the question is, okay, so how does God go about doing that? Well, there was a guy who went to meet with his pastor and he started in with his pastor and said, Pastor, don't start the God stuff with me. He said, I've been studying the science all my life, and I know that if this universe were the size of the Astrodome, then that means that our planet would be a speck of dust in the Astrodome, and then that means that human beings would be a particle on that speck of dust. And if there is a God, it would be ridiculous, Pastor, to think that He would care about me. Or care about the particles of dust. Human beings. The pastor looks at him and says, I'm so glad you brought this up. Because I'm going to tell you that God doesn't just care. But God actually loves the particles so much that he became one. You see, that's our God. God... As we read through the rest of Scripture, He took, takes on flesh and we could say in a sense becomes a particle. He becomes one of us. He becomes a human being in the person of Jesus Christ and enters into the darkness and He dwells with us. And He dies a death on the cross. And what happens on the cross? He's overcome with darkness, isn't He? What happens on the cross when Jesus dies? Well, Jesus is unmade. Think about Isaiah chapter 53. What happens on the cross with Jesus? In a sense, he becomes formless and void. Isaiah chapter 53, remember he's pointing towards Jesus, the prophet is, and he says there was one that had no form or majesty that we should look at him. 
Jesus was unmade on the cross so that you could be remade. Friends, the goal, just like it is every single Sunday, Lord willing, is that we would see Jesus. And I am shamelessly inviting you back every single week as we study this great book of Genesis. And I want to dare you to believe in God through the person of Jesus Christ, to believe in this God who loves to bring order to the chaos, light into the darkness, and loves to bring life where there is death. He wants to do that in all of our lives over the next couple of months as we study his word, the book of Genesis. I hope you'll come back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible book, this first book of the Bible. Use it to change our lives um, over the next couple of months. Use this book to reset us and to remind us of what is true and right in the world. And more than anything, reveal to us the beauty and wonder of Jesus so that we might love him more, so that we might be moved um, to believe in him more deeply. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.